How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a very unusual good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, concerns, or whatever. It's freezing outside. And Mr. Kelly, before you take off, yes. uh, what temperature do you have your furnace set at home we usually uh we sleep at about 67 or 68 whoa because i i uh i am a very warm sleeper uh and then during the day it's anywhere 71 to 73 really yeah so you guys are kind of chill oriented it's a little yeah sue has been wearing you know we sit on the couch with she's got as an electric blanket which we usually put over us a little bit. I get a little too hot under it. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm kind of hot anyway, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, we stay a little bit on the cool side, a little cooler than I'd like. I'd like it warmer, but, uh, you know, it's uh, we make it. It's okay. It's curious. Yeah, what about you? Uh, we keep a... We had it at 74. We moved it up to 75. Yeah, I don't blame you. It's cold. And that <laughs> furnace runs constantly. Right. Yeah. Last night when I turned it down to go to bed, we were laying there and she's like, it just came back on again. And I said, it's cold out. It, it doesn't <laughs> right. take long. To get. Now, we had didn't have power last Sunday. When I woke up to go to work, the power had been out. Whoa. And it, it was out from, let's see, I got up at about four. It had been out for about an hour. and And then... It came on about 8.30, and Sue said it was 57 degrees in the house. Whoa. Which is pretty cold. You aren't kidding. Yeah. And so we, <laughs> I had water, you know, a little water running to keep the pipes from freezing and that kind of thing. But, yeah, it was it was pretty brutal. There were some people out this morning on the east side about, mm, not a whole lot, but a couple hundred, I think, and uh, in Park Place. And uh, it, it's, it's a brutal morning to not have it, so... Just curious. Yeah, it's cold, cold, cold. <laughs> By the way, when you do your gardening stroll today, are you going to wear uh, snowshoes? Yes! <laughs> or just tie tennis rackets on your feet. Maybe. <laughs> right, exactly. Well, thanks a lot. Yes, folks, Saturday morning we get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard, maybe that side yard, your front yard, especially garden space, or a taste of the tropics as you take a look at your houseplants. And uh, should you have some potting mix there just in case you find a plant that you want to get, but you want to put it in a little bit more interesting pot and it's slightly larger? Or should you be out improving your soil when it's frozen? No. And uh, should you be pruning when it's this cold? You really shouldn't be. 
Uh, how about bugs? Actually, it's surprising how many bugs are kind of frozen in time. I was looking at my Mugo pine. There was a couple of cucumber beetles that were just kind of stuck on some of the needles on the uh, Mugo pine. And, uh, oh, things are just so crazy. But anyway, use the information I share with you for uh, making some decisions. Help solidify your options. With the final judgment, of course, the action is going to be yours. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. By the way, I'm Mike Miller, and another very, very important player in this game is Alex. He's producing, so he answers the phone, first name, where you're calling from, and he doesn't need to know the question you're calling about because uh, he, doesn't, he doesn't know. He doesn't care. So anyway, what I do is I just ask you, and then you'll, you, know, you will ask me your question. And I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. And I come to your home to do a landscape consultation, a walk and talk today. I had one scheduled, but uh, we decided it was going to be a little bit too cold, so we're going to put it off for another couple of weeks. And uh, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. And today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. <laughs> Very interesting, good gardening stroll today. Uh, the most unusual, after 25 years, I didn't actually get to do the stroll that I had planned. What I wanted to do is I wanted to go to the historic entrance at the Missouri Botanical Garden, and I wanted to look into through the, you know, the historic entrance, which is now a banquet room, blah, 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 and just kind of look at the Climatron and think about when I used to work there, think about how nice it is in there this time of year and everything else. But when I got there, the they used to have a uplighting and lighting on the inside of the Climatron. There was none. So I couldn't see a darn thing. It was just absolutely amazing. So the botanical garden looked, hmm, very mysterious. So I didn't really, I walked up and down Shaw a little bit. But it was so dark and, to be honest with you, so cold that I really couldn't, you know, get an idea of what kind of plants it were. So I just walked up and down about a block and a block and a half or so and just uh, felt the cold weather. Yes, and I am wearing shorts. My wife thinks I'm crazy. She said, why don't you wear some long pants? I said, well, it would kind of break tradition. So I just didn't do that. So anyway, the good gardening stroll was just kaplunked. Because I don't know what's going on in the botanical garden, but uh, I just wanted to look through and see the Climatron and just remember those old days when I worked there and people going there right now. It's just you stepping into a different world. So if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these not questions, these comments. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. The weather outside is brutal, and uh, the plant material is going to be real interesting. You see, I mean, none of the buds were starting to open or anything, so that's not really a problem, but when it gets this cold... Some of the plants are kind of, I don't want to say marginally hardy, but that's kind of what they are. 
So some of the magnolias, the earlier flowering ones, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how well they make it through this. I mean, this is really brutally cold. I don't remember this kind of cold for a while. So anyway, let's head over to Donna's yard. Hi, Donna. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. I was wondering, we have had um, beavers taking down some trees um, on some property we have, and we would like to put something else in that is kind of resistant to them, but would also give us some privacy, like, I don't know, maybe a cypress tree or something like that, but I don't know what kind they don't like. (laughs) Well, to be honest with you, I'm not a beaver expert, but what I would probably look at is some of the upright junipers. Okay. So don't necessarily go for the Juniperus virginiana, which is the native one, because it has a problem with uh, cedar apple rust. So in other words, crab apples and apple trees and things like that cause some really weird functioning or functions on their branches and stuff. Uh, But look at the Juniperus uh, chinensis. Chinensis? Okay. So that just means they're from Japan. It says Chinese, but they're really a Japanese variety of junipers. And there's uprights. Okay. There's a couple, you know, some of them are greenish. Some of them have a bluish green cast. Some of them, you know, I mean, so there's various types. And I'd probably do a mix as opposed to just one variety. Okay. Thanks. Yeah, I think Thank you know, very I'm, much. I'm pretty sure that they're, you know, beavers wouldn't, you know, wouldn't go after them. I'm not positive, but I don't think they would. Okay, well, that sounds good to me. Thank you very much. Yes, well, thank you. And uh-huh. folks, Bye-bye. yeah, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Well, as you know, tomorrow is Valentine's Day. So Tracy and I are headed out for a brunch early in the morning. <sighs> well, not early, but, uh, you know, 9 or 9.30 or something like that. But it's going to be really cold. But if you give or you get some flowers, some cut flowers for Valentine's Day. The best thing you can do is once you get them is actually to take the stems, run your faucets on, you know, take them out, you know, take the wrapping off of them and everything else. And to extend their life, I know they have the packet of stuff that you mix in the water, which definitely helps. But just in general, physically, what the best, best way to do to have that, let's say, addition that you're going to be putting into the water to extend their life, um, take the roses and put them underneath a tap water, just like kind of warmish, not hot, and about two inches from the end, the existing end, make a cut and make the cut at an angle. And what you want to do, what you're doing is you're just kind of, because sometimes the ends you know, at the florist and everything else get a little bit clogged up because there's a lot of stuff in there and the way they're sitting. And just cut each one. And then also any of the leaves, depending upon what size vase you're going to put them on, any of the leaves that would be below the water level, cut those off as well. So in other words, extend the stem, make it longer, but, you know, from the standpoint of removing foliage, but also reignite it by making a nice cut. And I tell you, it really will, you know, if the roses are in good shape when you get them, that's really going to make them last for a lot longer. Now, of course, they're still going to drop the petals ultimately and all the other stuff that they normally do. But this is a way to make them look vibrant for a much longer time. So let's head over to Greg's yard. Greg, how are you? Hi, Mike. 
uh, I'm good. It's snowing and, and it's beautiful. I'm glad I'm inside. <laughs> hey, I have a question. Uh, we're looking at um, some hedge heads that we want to put in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Afro, um, Aphrodite, or not, uh, no, it's not right. Um, oh, the one, hang on one second. Name again. I'm so sorry, Arborvitae. Right. My question is, we're thinking about putting this along the top of a retaining wall. What type of root ball area do they need? Uh, it depends upon the variety. I'm assuming you're talking about an upright variety? Yes. As opposed to like a globe or whatever. Um, probably root ball-wise, you're going to end up, well, it depends upon the size that you purchase, first of all. So I don't know, how big are you planning on buying? Well, we were thinking kind of going kind of large. Like six feet? Yeah, then at least. You're probably looking at I, any larger than that. It's going to be very difficult, and their ability to acclimate is going to be very tough. So I wouldn't probably go any larger than that. My tendency would be to kind of even go a little bit shorter than that because they're going to be very heavy and very awkward. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. No, we're going to buy, we're going to buy them through the Arbor society you know but then we're going to get the small ones to start oh, with so you're but getting gonna, really they're, they're, small ones okay yeah but they're gonna but they're gonna get big right you know and my, my question is how much should i how much should i stay back from the edge like that retaining wall because they're going to be toward the top of it to so they don't impact that i would say probably at least two if not three feet okay and okay. you know also realize that if you're buying them from you know the arbor society they're going to be really small, and if you're using them for a screen or something, you're going to—it's going to be a long, long, long time before you're going to get okay. any kind of screen potential out of them whatsoever. So, just, okay. as long as you're aware of that, then that's you know that's perfectly fine. What you might do is just, you know, unless you're sort of want everything uniform in size, maybe get a couple other ones, maybe a two or three gallon one. And just kind of mix those in with these really small ones that you're going to get. Okay, I got you. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Sure. Mm-hmm. My pleasure. Bye. And uh, for anybody that's getting you know plants like this, what I would do personally is you're getting them. They're going to be bare root more than likely. And I would just get to go to your favorite garden center and ask them if they have some black plastic nursery pots, like a one-gallon pot, which is like six inches or so and get some potting mix, and I would grow these in pots. You know, you could put them in the location where you want to ultimately plant them, but just dig a hole, leave them in the pot, drop the pot down into the hole, and just kind of let it there and see how they're going to do because some of these may not make it. Some of them you're going to probably do very well, but this way you're going to, you're kind of, you're going to create an environment that's what happens in a, let's say, a professional growing nursery they, don't, they grow some stuff in the field, yes, there's no getting around that. But the majority of things that are grown are grown in pots. So that's what's really, you know, it's going to be beneficial and helpful. So just think about that. So, give the, you know, just give that some thought because getting just something bare root and then sticking it into the ground and hopefully keeping your fingers crossed that it's going to acclimate and make it is going to be I don't want to say iffy at best, but really, truly iffy at best. Uh, other things that uh, if you have houseplants and you're wondering, let's see, the days are slightly getting a little bit longer. Should I start fertilizing my houseplants? 
uh, only start fertilizing any house plant at this time if you start to see some active growth. If they're not actively growing, so I'm not just saying flowering, I'm just I'm saying actually pushing out some new foliage, some stems, some lengths, some things like that, you start fertilizing. But if you're going to fertilize, fertilize with just half label rate. So if it says one tablespoon per gallon of water or whatever it happens to be, it's going to be to the advantage of the plants not to try to force some growth, especially if they're not you know growing because they're not growing for a very good reason because things are not right for them to grow. But sometimes fertilizer can force them to grow and they're not, it's not going to be healthy growth. So just kind of be very, very conscious of that. And this is a good time of uh, year just to kind of check uh, your house plants just that are not growing well. Check the amount of light they're getting, the temperature they're getting, how much nutrients that you've provided for them, moisture and humidity. All those are very, very important to, you know, houseplant growth. Houseplants, I mean, success is wonderful. And a lot of times you can have some great success with them. But sometimes if you, you know, if things are just not right or if it's just not going to matter what you do. So sometimes it's just what variety was picked or whatever. That's what the real problem is going to be. So just, keep, you know, kind of keep that in mind. By mid-month, if you want to start, you know, annual type seeds like ageratum, petunias, impatiens, some salvias and things like that, hold off until... Oh, you know, a little bit and probably another week or two. And realize if you're going to grow things from seed, that having grow lights over the top of them, only about two inches above the potting mix, and get a potting mix for starting plants, and bottom heat. So in other words, so the growing mix, the potting mix, is going to be warm, is going to make a huge difference. And if, you know, also things that you, if you have house plants that have, really done well. Things like coleus or succulents or things like that. This is a good time of year to start making some cuttings of those. It's also a good time to get out and check your summer bulbs. So your bulbs, meaning like your cannas that you brought inside, maybe put them in the basement of the garage or elephant ears or whatever it happens to be, just check them overall to make sure there's no signs of decay because if one starts decaying and it's laying against another one that hasn't started yet, that decay, that bacteria problem can move on to the other plants. So just keep that in mind. Uh, other things that you need to be thinking about just kind of in general is just watch out for just overall growth. And, you know, if you have raspberries and blackberries and plants like that, it, it's just, you know, they're not going to be growing yet. But as soon as they start growing, this is, that's a time when you should get out there and start working the soil, adding a little bit of, a, let's say, compost to the soil just to help them overall. And it's when the ground starts thawing, if you have some fruit trees, this is a good time of year to start fertilizing your fruit trees, too. For, you know, as you, I always talk about, building the soil up with augering holes and filling it with compost, but some, you know, some people, and that's very fine, like to use a fertilizer as well. And the fertilizer should be done before the blooming starts on your fruit trees. That way it's going to be sucked up and will be where it needs to be in, in the interior part of the plant 
before the you know before the flowering because flowering is the most stressful part for any plant whether it's a plant that's inside whether it's a plant outside whether it's a tree whether it's a shrub it doesn't really matter if you do have some grapes this is a time of year when you want to do you know you want to do some uh, pruning on your grapes in other words you're going to cut them back considerably and uh, other things that you need to be thinking about uh, just your the tools that you're going to be using to do any kind of pruning. Clean them and sharpen them. Very, I mean, it makes a big difference so you don't get any kind of jagged cut when you do some pruning, whether it's pruning of storm, you know, storm damage or whether it's pruning because you're trying to change the shape of something or you're going to reduce the size. All that is very, very important. So if you do have any questions, give us a call at 314 314- 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've uh, had a couple, you know, good opportunities or good situations where we're able to buy a hyacinth bulb that was in like a, a kind of a vase water. And uh, we've already had one and it was really, really nice to watch it come up. You know, the bottom of the the bulb is in the water. The root system's growing down into the water and then you see the foliage emerge and then you see the flower stalk emerge and the, the fragrance was really nice. So that was something was a real plus. So that one was a white one, and now we've got a purple one in water. So uh, I was afraid right at first that Tracy was going to be a little bit, because certain fragrances you know, are a little bit overpowering to her, but this hyacinth was really kind of nice. And I was just seeing, you know, thinking about Mardi Gras, and there was a bunch of stuff about how New Orleans is not going to have any uh, Mardi Gras-related type things because of the COVID and everything else, which is understandable. But uh, the city of New Orleans is the hyacinth city. And I've been there a couple times and in the springtime, actually for Mardi Gras, when I was in the Air Force in Louisiana. But, uh, I mean, it is amazing how many hyacinths that they have growing there. So it's a perfect time of year for it. But uh, this year there's going to be hyacinths, I'm sure, but there's not going to be any kind of Mardi Gras parties. But let's head over to Mary's yard. She lives in Overland. Hi, Mary. Hi, how are you, Mike? Very good. Mike, um, I know you talked a few weeks ago about what to do with an amaryllis uh, after it's bloomed, but I was I couldn't uh, be at that uh, time. So can you explain to me what to do with, with the big amaryllis bulb now that it's finished flowering? So it's finished flowering, so you should, I mean, there should be some foliage starting to emerge from the bulb, so leaves. Yes. Plenty. Yes, so just let them go, let them go all the way up until probably like September. Oh, okay. So, so in other words, you don't do anything at all, and what it's doing is building its strength up and actually probably making the bulb a little bit bigger. And then consequently, when we hit September, then you're going to cut the foliage off and, and leave a stub of about an inch or so above the bulb. And then just put it you know, off by itself in a kind of a dark area. You don't need to be watering or anything else. And, that's, and then wait for two, like six to eight weeks, then bring it back out. 
then start watering it. And as soon as you start to see the flower stalk coming up out of the center of the bulb, then do some fertilizing on it too. Okay, now that period of time between now and September, do I leave that um, in the light or do I put it in the dark? Or just no, leave no, it? yeah, leave it in the light. You just grow it like a regular house plant. Okay. So, in other words, you want the foliage to get in, you know as much light as it can because it's absorbing, you know, and making food chlorophyll. So, consequently, to build the bulb up for the next flowering cycle. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all the time. Take care. <laughs> well, thanks, <laughs> and thanks, Mary. And what a coincidence! The next caller's name is Mary as well. Hi, Mary. Uh, good morning, Mike. Hi. I heard you talking Hi. earlier about uh, the roses, the fresh-cut roses, uh-huh. and uh-huh. cutting them back at an angle, uh, which we've done. I just uh, uh, received a dozen roses about five days ago. All right. So my question is, would it be wise to cut them back again uh, to try to see if I could get a bit more life out of them? Uh, it wouldn't hurt as long as you got plenty of stem length. But just I real, do. Yeah, just you know, realize that if you do that, uh, depending upon what, depending upon what size vase that you have, you may have to take off some of the foliage. And the foliage is mm-hmm. really more aesthetic. It really doesn't help the flowering. It doesn't help anything. A lot of times, I strip the foliage completely off. You know, mm-hmm. by the stems of the roses because I find it a little bit distracting when you got a whole bunch of them in a vase and they kind of get you know p- you know piled right. up against each other and it doesn't look all that good. So. Right. Yeah, I did take quite a bit of the foliage off, but I just thought, well, it makes sense maybe to go ahead and clip them off another inch or so, because I do have plenty of stem, uh, because they might be gunked up at the bottom right. from being in the vase with the, and I did put the package stuff in there right. for about five days. So um, I may try that. Yeah, it certainly couldn't hurt. I mean, it's not going to cause them to down, you know, go on a downhill slide real fast or anything else. So just give it a shot and see what you think. Okay, will do. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. Mm-hmm. And now Bye. let's go from Mary's to Terry's. Hi, Terry. Hi. Good morning, Mike. Hi. I'm a new, I'm a new gardener, and I'm trying to figure out how to top my plants and for my indoor grow so I don't get too big. Can you help me? Uh, as far, so you're saying your house plants. Yes. Is, yes. I would say basically leave them alone. There's no reason to top them. If they're nice and healthy and vigorous, just be thankful that uh, you've had you know good success with them up to this point. So okay. I, I'm well, not sure why you want to top them. Well, I was reading what I thought I was supposed to, but now I won't. Yeah, I mean, there's no, I mean, certain things, certain varieties, depending upon what you have, you know, will get really elongated. Some of them will grow up high. Let's say if you have a fiddly fig tree or you have a philodendron, some, you know, fiddly fig can get tall, too big, uh, Diffenbachia, but most of the stuff... You know, it's not going to overgrow for multiple years. So since you're a beginner, I would say just leave everything alone. The more foliage that are, you know, that's on them, the better it is for just the overall health. Now, if you start to have okay. problems where they look wilted and you think they should be watered, just make sure that they, you haven't watered recently because that's probably the worst thing you can do with houseplants is overwatering. 
Okay. Thank you very much. I really love your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. And also, wait for another week or two. And as soon as you start to see some active growth, some new leaves coming out, maybe you have some Rex begonias, you know, whatever you happen to have, as soon as you start to see some new growth emerging, get some, go to your favorite garden center and get some houseplant food and then just read the label, however much it says per, you know, just put half the label rate and start fertilizing them. Fertilize them about every two to three weeks. Thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 if you have any questions or concerns. Uh, there's been a couple callers recently who's and a couple people have emailed me that are living in areas, you know, earlier today we had, a, which was the first time out of all these years that I've been uh, doing the garden hotline where somebody was worried about beavers eating plant material, but more common in this region is deers eating plant material. So again, if you're looking to try to plant some, you know, some woodies that the deer kind of have a tendency to stay away from, severe winter, I don't know if this a deer would consider this a severe winter, but I'd have to think it would. But anyway, some of the woodies that are generally going to be, let's say, less attractive to the deer, ginkgo trees, the oak leaf hydrangea, gold thread branch cypress, the hawthorn tree, the American holly, all the junipers, uh, paper bark birch, Rosa Sharon, blue spruce, hypericum, witch hazel, which the witch hazel, I'm not sure we're really getting close to the point where the witch hazels should be in bloom. They're one of the very first shrubs that are actually going to be flowering. And Vitex. So those are some of the woodies that deer stay away from unless the weather really gets uh, horrible, which to me this year I think it's horrible, but, uh, you know, deer are a little bit tougher than I am. And uh, as far as herbaceous type things, well, let's, let's do the bulbs instead. Uh, some of the bulbs, they don't like alliums. They don't like crocus. They don't like glory of the snow. They don't like snowdrops. Snowdrops should be in flower if not right now, really, really, really soon. The cilias, the hyacinths, the grape hyacinths, the iris reticulata, and the daffodils. They don't have a tendency to go after them. And that's not necessarily when they're in flower, just the foliage and everything else. So they stay away from those particular plants. So if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, Good time of year for starting to head out just to your favorite garden center because really soon they're going to start getting some, like, uh, onion sets and things like that. Even if you don't like onions, which I'm not a fan of onions, they're kind of neat to watch grow, and especially this time of year. They're not going to start growing immediately by any means. But, uh, you know, kind of transition as the bulbs finish, the spring flowering bulbs, before the summer bulbs start growing, before the annuals, the summertime, spring annuals and everything else. Uh, it's kind of neat to just have a couple pots of onions around. And what I do is I just grow them in pots, and then at the uh, – as they sort of, as other things come out and aesthetically start filling the gap, then the onions 
go into the yard waste dumpster. Ah, <laughs> uh, I'm a bad boy. But anyway, let's head over to Ann's yard. Ann, how are you? Hi, Mike. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a kind of a silly question, I guess. I have a jade plant. Um, it's rather large. I've had it for many years. And this thing is um, covered in little white flowers. Perfect. And most people don't even know that a jade plant will ever bloom. <laughs> and I would just wonder, what did I do to it to make it bloom? <laughs> well, age is, a, you know, age is part of it. Put it in a location where it's getting the right amount of light and everything else. And you didn't overwater because that's a tendency with jade because it is a you know a succulent type plant. People will have a tendency to overwater it and cause problems, even if it's just interrupting. And it's just age wise. That's you know that's one of the things too. It takes multiple years. You can see you know because we're growing them here as house plants. But if you grow to go to areas where the jade can go outside and be grown more or less as a shrub, you'll see them in bloom. You know routinely every year but uh you know your situation specifically what you did you just created an environment just perfect for it well i put it in the the uh, basement walkout area during the winter and it goes out on the back deck during the summertime sounds perfect for it (laughs) (laughs) evidently but i have several um other plants, because every time a uh, leaf or whatever bl- uh, breaks off, I just throw it in a pot. So I have a lot of smaller ones, and um, I've given several away. Well, that's great. Say, well, will mine bloom like that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, just tell them to be patient. Some will, and, you know, it's, again, creating the, an ideal environment from a growing situation and with the watering, and I don't know if you're doing any fertilizing or anything like that. And also, a lot of times people have a tendency to put them into, you know, put a house plants or tropicals in pots that are too large. That causes them real problems. So, you know, having the root system being root bound is a real plus for them. Oh, really? Yeah, especially the succulents. I mean, people, like I said, they always want to put something in a bigger pot, and that's not what you should do. The majority of times, you should just leave it in the pot it's in until it really gets starts pushing root systems out of the drainage holes in the bottom. Then maybe put it in a pot, but a pot that's only one to two inches bigger than the existing pot. So you're just doing hmm. everything just perfect. Uh, it's purely by accident. <laughs> well, sometimes that's the best way. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, I have a, another question, too. I have a fern that has, it's not a Boston fern. The the little fronds on it are kind of lacy mm-hmm. looking. They're curly, curly type things. What's the name of that? Mm. Without seeing it, it would be a little tough to guess. Okay. It's just a more delicate uh, type of fern. And the, are the fronds really small, like only three or four inches? Yes. <laughs> and is, there, is the fronds, are they coming out of something that kind of has, it looks like a brown stem on the ground? It might be rabbit's foot fern. Well, the only thing I've ever heard of was just lacy fern. Yeah. 
Just take but, a uh, you know, take a look at the rabbit's foot fern online and just see if that's what it is. Okay. Because I've got several of those too. So yeah, or, or just you know, you can email me at mikemiller.com or mikemillerdesigns.com and send me a picture and I can take a look at it. Oh, okay. I might try to do that. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Mike. Certainly. And now okay. let's head from Ann's yard over to Ken's yard. Hi, Ken. Hi, Hi Mike. Hi. Say, I have a problem with a peony. Um, I've had it for about 15 years at least. And within the last five years, it kept getting smaller, smaller, and less flowers. In fact, last year it only had one on it. That's exactly what it shouldn't be doing. It's kind of going backwards. Are you putting mulch over the top of it? Uh, Yes, it gets mulch. Yeah, maybe that's the problem because sometimes we can cause more problems than good. Now, is it near larger trees that have gotten larger over these 15 years? Well, I consider that that could be a problem also. Because that's, that really impacts And My parents had a row of peonies that we got from my great-grandmother on the, on the west side of the house, which for several years was a perfect location. But also there was two silver maples on that side of the house. And as they got bigger, the peonies just more or less started to go, I don't want to say downhill, but they stagnated. They didn't really get any bigger. They, you know... I mean, they did less flowering, too. So that might be a problem of, com- you know, competition with other plant material root systems and then putting too much mulch over the top of them. Well, what kind of fertilizer should I use? Uh, well, the fertilizer is you can't compensate if the root system is being, let's say, battled with something else. But just uh, an overall, let's say, general fertilizer. You don't want to use triple 12. You don't want to ideally what you should do is get a soil test done and find out what nutrients are in the ground in that location and then get a fertilizer to compensate you know, for the lack of or to make sure that if there's an abundance of one particular nutrient that you're not putting a fertilizer down that has more of it because there's certain nutrients that if there's too much, it actually causes problems for the plant material as opposed to helping the plant material. Uh, where would I... Uh, go to get a salt test. A soil test, you can go to the University of Missouri Extension Service. There's an, they have an office in Kirkwood. You, could, okay. you, can, you can do it that way. I mean, there's private companies in Illinois that will do it. And there, I don't know if the locations, I always say Gateway Greening and Operation Brightside, they, I don't know how that's working as far as with this COVID if you can drop off soil samples there or not. And then what they do is they send them off to the University of Missouri. But just go to the University of Missouri Extension Service and find out what the location there is in Kirkwood. You're going to end up with about a, a pretty good Ziploc bag full of, you know, the soil, not with the mulch or anything else. And that's, you know, find out what's going on in that area just kind of in general. And now I have... Um Different, I've got like hydrangeas, azaleas, rhododendron, um, all kinds of uh, 
pastas and that. When should I fertilize and what kind of fertilizer? All those plants that you just mentioned want an acid-based fertilizer, and you want to start fertilizing as soon as they start actively growing. So as soon as you start to see the growth occurring, that's when you want to do. So thank you, Ken, and 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. I'll be giving the good gardening stroll. No, that was last hour. It's the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Speaking of ideas, a gentleman, when I was talking about the deer, he was saying he just throws mothballs around his plants, and that keeps the deer away. Oh, he doesn't throw them at the deer. No, no. Oh, I thought he went out and threw them at the deer. <laughs> Get out of here! That oh. might work. It might. I'm going to try that. Well, I'm not, right. yeah, I'll try that on the cats that hang out around my bird feeders. <laughs> oh, wild feral yeah. cats, huh? Oh, uh, semi. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're barn cats from the neighbor, and they come over sometimes, and I have to chase them away. Oh, yeah. dirty cats. But anyway. Uh, a question for you. Okay. I, I know we have this luxurious office complex and everything else, mm-hmm. but you have a thermometer on your desk. I do. Now, what does that <laughs> thermometer say? I think it was from last winter when, when I told Sue how cold it was, and she was like at the dollar store or something and bought one and said, here, let's see how cold it is. It was about 67 degrees. So that's uh, at your desk. Which, you know, I mean, it doesn't sound too bad. Right. But in the office, it's cold. <laughs> but that's kind of the temperature that you said you, your house. I know. Well, maybe our thermometer at, or the thermostat at home is not quite accurate. I don't know. <laughs> but it doesn't, isn't it cold in there? Yeah. And then well, the, this one, producer yes. B right here, boy, right. it's really, they got a space heater in there. I don't know what the deal is with that, but I mean, you can feel the cold air come yeah. rushing out of there. You know, I wonder, a previous radio station I worked at, it was like that, too. And, you know, we have all the equipment in the one big room, right? Right. And that generates a lot of heat. Absolutely. So that's got to stay cold. And I wonder if that has, you know, and these buildings were not built as radio stations. So no. you kind of have that one room and then everything else in a system. Right. Uh, I, I wonder if that's the problem. Could I don't be. know. But it's, Yeah. <laughs> I went to the restroom and I stood there and just ran the hot water for a few minutes. Just, to, oh, that feels good. Well, here yeah. in the studio where we're broadcasting from, we have all these uh, sun lamps. Yeah. It's not too bad. <laughs> no, and you get a not. tan. Yeah. <laughs> Especially up here on the forehead. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks, Brian. Yes, folks, and thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, cares for us, ups and downs of annuals. Actually, I've still seen some uh, some pansies that have, well, I haven't seen them since it's gotten this, you know, last couple of days this cold. My thinking is, uh, hmm, their flowers are just not going to be laying down. They're going to be frozen, but we'll find out. Bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offer for you to consider. Alex is producing, so when you call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, he will answer the phone. All he needs is your first name and where you're calling from, not what you're calling about. And then when your turn comes up, then I will ask you what you're calling about. 
Uh, I can come to your home and do a walk and talk. That's a landscape consultation where I'll share my experience with you and your yard and everything else. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and the homepage, that's my email address and phone number. So, Tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Tip of the trial goes out, and especially in our neighborhood, and I'm sure there's other neighborhoods as well, for all the mail carriers that bring mail to your house, we have so many steps and stairways leading up from the sidewalk to people's front doors, and that's where the mailboxes are, that a tip of the trial goes out to the mail carriers. Amakwa, he is our local you know, mail carrier. He also has helped us out several times with the uh, packages and things like that. So Amakwa, tip of the trial to you and other all the other mail carriers that have to that walk. I mean, it is amazing because not everybody can get out and clean their sidewalks and everything else, but uh, it's just kind of incredible. So they deserve a tip of the trowel. Also, a tip of the trowel goes out to the Green Center. The Green Center is in University City, and when the weather is like this, why not think about the Green Center's Nature Explorer Summer Camps? This, you know, the summer camps, I mean, there's nature play camp, there's nature photography camp, get outdoors camp, and green chef camp. And these are classes for kids ages from 5 to 7 to 8 to 13 to, uh, you know. So it's just they do a great job. They put these things together, and they are in the summertime. One's in from, like, June 7th to 11th, one's 14th to 18th, that's June. Then there's another one in July, two of them in July. So the Green Center. So if you want more information about this, you can go to classes at thegreencenter.org. And you're going to be amazed. So it's not, the registration starts real soon on some of the, well, it's going to be, you have to register by a certain date. So, but uh, when it's like this, why not start you know, getting your kids excited about when the weather gets warm, you're going to be taking this class. What could be more fun? What could be greater than that? And this, you know, the nature photography camp, I've, you know, I don't know if I've seen them offer that before. It's a five-day camp. They learn the basics of using a digital camera, develop their photography skills by taking pictures in natural settings. And so just great stuff. Anyway, so a tip of the trial to all the mail carriers, like I said, some of them, you know, as I look down the street, they probably have to go up like uh, maybe 13 or 14 steps to get to the front doors of some people's houses. So to the mail carriers and to the green center. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, here's a few tips if you're going to get a soil test done. And this is a perfect time of year to get a soil test done. Not right now because the ground's frozen. But also, please dry your sample before submitting it. So let the soil sit out overnight on a tray with newspaper or some other paper source so the soil can dry before you submit it for the testing. Other things... Test in multiple locations. Just don't take all the soil for a soil test 
at one spot. So within a bed space, within the lawn area, or whatever it happens to be, multiple locations and mix it together. That's the best thing you can do. And what's the, the amount that, that you're really going to need is a, about one and a half to two cups of soil. And a sandwich bag, Ziploc, that kind of thing should be okay as far as uh, submitting it. But again, let it dry. So if it's really wet or obviously when it's frozen, you can't do that. So just keep that in mind. And this is the best time. It's extremely busy this time of year, but it's the best time to submit it, even if it's going to be a little bit longer. Because it uh, you know, takes about 10 to 14 days, and so it's going to be maybe you know 21 or 28 days or something like that. But still, even a month, that's plenty of time for you to make the adjustments that your soil test is going to you know tell you to do. And what does it tell you? It will tell you the status of the nutrients like phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium, and the soil pH, the amount of organic matter that's in there. And so it will tell you whether you have extreme amounts. So in other words, you've been doing too much fertilizing of the same type year after year after year because some of the nutrients just stay in the soil and or maybe it's really lacking. So let's head over to Robert's yard. Robert, how are you? Hey, great, Mike. Thanks. Uh, thanks for showing up. Thanks for coming in today. Sure. Um, I just heard you talking briefly about orchids, which uh, sparked a question. I've had this orchid. You know, we always try to keep plants for as long as we can and sure. as healthy as we can. But I've had this orchid for 10-plus years. It doesn't flower anymore. It's got abundance of leaves on it. It's really healthy, but hasn't flowered in quite some time. I would say head to your favorite garden center and get some orchid food. Okay. Now, is this an orchid that grows in potting mix or does it grow in bark? Well, it started out in bark. Eventually, it all kind of disintegrated, so I just put it in potting. That might have an impact on it, too. So, in other words, go in, I mean, certain garden centers will say, or I don't know if the Botanical Garden Plant Shop, if that's even open at this time of year, but get some orchid bark and put it back into the bark and then get some orchid fertilizer. Okay. All right. Good stuff. Appreciate you. Yep. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Perfect time of year to head out in your garage, even if it's cold outside. You're probably in your garage. It's going to be... Uh, uh, lower 40s or something, but it's a good time to be out there working on your equipment and, you know, sharpening blades and those type things. It's really important as far as disease-related to have your equipment blades, whether it's a mower, whether it's a pruner or anything else, you know, sharpened because frayed ends on plant materials or anything, or even if, uh, Let's say you should be cutting, let's say, a couple branches off trees and you decide, eh, you know, you, you cut it and you saw it halfway with a pole pruner or another kind of pruner and then you just get tired of going back and forth and back and forth with a saw and you just break it off. Well, that open wound like that is the worst thing you can possibly do. So a smooth cut, smooth edges is really important as far as reducing any kind of situation with disease prevention. And we have so many different diseases potentially here with our crazy weather, the humidity and all that, you know, factors as well. So there's even a lot of diseases that happen in the winter when you wouldn't think they would happen at all. So that, just keep that in mind. 
So let's head over to Joan's yard. Hi, Joan. How are you? I'm well. Thank you, Mike, for taking my call. Sure. A question, I heard that cicadas are supposed to be real bad this year. And the last time I had them, I had a tree that they were literally crawling up the bark, and you could not even see the bark of the tree for the cicadas. Is there anything I can put around uh, the ground to um, maybe kill them off before they germinate? I know they fly and they can come over from other trees and whatever, but they were so thick, it was absolutely unreal. Yeah, for the most part, as far as controlling them, there's not really too much you can do. If you put a, you know, more or less a regular insecticide down, that will help some because they're, you know, they're spending part of their, let's say, life underneath the ground. So one that grub control and those type things, you could use that. But for the most part, it's not going to be really all that effective. Okay, when would I put the insecticide? Uh, base, what you want to do is wait till the weather starts warming up. Let's say when you start to see some active, you know, active growth in your lawn areas, that would probably be the best trigger because that indicates the soil temperature is what it is. So what that as the soil temperature warms up, the earthworms start moving. And also then the grubs start moving up near the surface and start eating the root system of your lawn. And so the, the cicada and your larvae will be doing the same kind of thing. Okay. A liquid versus a granular, um, any difference? Uh, basically the granular is better because it's a little bit more concentrated. It is a little bit more work, and you, you see the granular, and it says water in after you spread it. But it, you're just going to get a better control with it. But uh, if you want to use the liquid, just go ahead and do that and see what happens. Okay. And then another question. I have an acre of ground. If I take a soil sample, should I take more than one in? I know you're saying take from different areas, but that's a pretty big area to take the sample from. Well, you could take one from the front yard, one from the backyard, do it kind of that way if you wanted to. Okay. So, in other words, and take a you know soil sample separate if for your lawn area versus bed space where you have trees and shrubs or perennials or something along that line. Very good. Thank you so much. Yep. My pleasure. Bye yeah. now. The cicadas. Uh, I don't know if this is going to be a bad year or not. Aren't they seven-year cicada or something like that? So, who knows what it's going to be like? Other things that you should be thinking about, just kind of in general. Yes, like I keep saying, minimize some of the problems. Take a look, you know, not necessarily today because the ground is covered, but uh, start looking in your lawn area, you know, for chickweed, for all the cool season weeds, because this is going to, they're going to go nuts as far as flowering slash producing seed. So this is a good time of year, not right now because the snow's covering it, but start watching out for that. And then another month or two, we're going to start watching for the warm season annual weeds, which are just, ugh. this year, the chickweed has just been unbelievable. Alisa, oh, Elias, how are you yes. today? Yes, good. I have a question for my crouton. I have it in 10 inches pot, put it outside in summer and put it inside. Mm-hmm. And start losing uh, leave at this time of the year. And on the other hand, I propagate one from the mother. I put it in a three-inch spot, 
and now it's blooming. I mean, it's surviving. So it is. I know it is tropical plant. Right. Okay. So uh, this is uh, normal to lose uh, the leaves. Pretty much. Now, it's, uh, if it's losing leaves at the tips of the branches, that's not a good sign. But if it's losing leaves along, you know, the trunk, the lower part of the stems, then that's something that's just normally going to happen. There's no getting around it. Yeah, it is the second one. Yeah, lose leaf from the stem, you know, lower, yeah. yeah. So, so and just... then I have two Christmas cactus and Thanksgiving cactus. Usually they bloom at this, you know, this year, you know, like in February, like like fuchsia color. Uh-huh. But this, uh, <clears throat> this year, I'm looking at it, it has a new leaves but no buds. <laughs> and uh, I keep it on the east side in the house. You know, right, and in the shade, okay. So, yeah. shall I be patient and give it one more year before I toss it away? Well, you can do that, or I mean, you could get some again fertilizer that may be just the nutrient level may be so low it just doesn't have the right nutrients. Now, also putting it, you you say you have it in a shady location in your house. Yeah, yeah, you know, not direct sunlight, you know, just bright light. Right. So yeah. if you can get it up closer to a window and give it some more light, that might be to its advantage. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I do that. And then back to my amarellas, I have all of them. Uh, one of them bloomed this year or two, but the other still uh, healthy, uh, green leaves, you know, all the stuff. So right. this is mm, be patient for one more year before I throw them away. Well, you could do that, but then, I mean, just let the leaves grow all the way up until September and then cut the leaves off at that point. Yeah, yeah, this is what, you know, I have been doing, and this year I uh, I took them the bulb out, trimmed the rotten roots, and I put it back in the mixing, uh, you know, pot, right. and the new pot, and they're doing good, but there is no... Uh, no blooms. Yeah, I just, it's a little bit boring because that's kind of what you're growing them for is the blooms. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. I have again, one. It is like a white color with a stripe, orange stripe. It's very pretty. Yeah. And the other is red. But the other one, never a bloom, you know. Well, I'd be patient and give them my, uh, one more year <laughs> before I go and buy a new one. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like you have an interesting combination of plant material. Yeah. <laughs> This my wife said uh, our house is like you know like greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's good for uh, you know for us. So, <laughs> but anyway, well, thank you very much and happy Valentine's Day. Yes, yeah, same to you. Okay. And folks, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. We got phone lines open, so if you have any questions, give us a call. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, as soon as the weather starts warming up, and you know Brian Kelly was saying, and Alex was saying actually as well, that uh, in another week or so, we should start getting a little bit warmer. Also, we're going to be heading outside as a result of the warmer weather. And if you've got the daffodils and tulips and crocus and everything in the ground, and you start seeing the foliage, that's a perfect time to be fertilizing them. So just keep that in mind. And as I've said, a lot of times things have been so hybridized, be it daffodils or tulips, that uh, fertilizing is not necessarily going to make them last that much longer, but it certainly could add another year 
and that's a lot cheaper than you know buying some more bulbs. And especially if it's a variety that you really like, and you may not be able to find that same variety. So right now, let's head over to Dave's yard, and he lives in Edwardsville. Hi, Dave. Hey, Mike. Hi. This. Uh, thank you for letting me on your show or our show or whatever. <laughs> What I would like to ask is, I'm going to try to start uh, tomato seeds from uh, from seed. And when do you think, since I think April 17th is considered our last frost day, how do I back that up to when I should start my seeds? Uh, first of all, make sure you got a heat mat. Make sure you get potting mix for starting you know, seeds, starting plant materials. And uh, then the grow lights, too. I would probably say if you started them, um, let's see, probably six weeks before that, then they should be about four to six inches high. So, in other words, that's about the size, the smaller size that you would get at a garden center. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, and uh, happy Valentine's Day to you, sir. Well, same to you, and same to all the listeners, too. And now let's go from Dave's yard over to Grace's yard, and she lives in South County. Hi, Grace. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a question. A friend of ours gave us a, um, I would call it a hibiscus tree. I don't know if it's kind of a hybrid thing, and it does well outside. Uh, I got it last summer, and I fertilized it and had lots of flowers. I brought it into my sunroom, and it's about minimum 60, about 60 degrees out here, and it looks like it's going to die. It is the leaves are uh, wilted and yellow and falling off, and I don't know if it's – I'm killing it. I mean, I water it, but it doesn't seem to make any difference. I put my finger in, and it comes out clean, so I figured it's dry, so I water it, but I don't know what to do with it. Well, first of all, hibiscus are great, but they do have problems when we bring them inside. So uh-huh. dropping leaves and things like that, but wilting, that sounds like you know overwatering circumstance. Oh, okay. So 60 degrees is not too cold for them by any means. It's not the ideal temperatures. They like it a little bit warmer. Warmer, I figured but that. But even if you put your finger in there and you think it feels dry, uh, that's still probably backing off of the water. I would, you know, I would do that way more than I would do any kind of watering. Okay. And just understand they're it's gonna they're gonna drop a lot of leaves. There's no okay. getting around so it. So if I could just nurse it along until the weather's warm, I'll be good. Right. Because pro- it bloomed beautifully. It was a beautiful yellow flowers. It was oh, very absolutely. pretty. Yeah. They're stri- I mean they're striking. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thrilled to have it. And I have another question. We had a maple tree taken down last year and had the stump ground up, Uh and we've let it lay for a year. It was a year ago in January. Can I use that as mulch? You mean the stump grindings? The stump grindings. No, they're not old enough. Oh. So, in other words, what they're going to do is, because they haven't been, let's say, composted or cooked what they're going to do is if you put them as mulch, they can start binding up the nutrients, you know, on the surface of your soil and then prevent those nutrients from being available to the plant material that they're using, you, so let's say, use it to surround, surround it with. So what do I do with that? Uh, best thing to do is either just kind of if you've got, I don't know what, you live in South County, I don't know, you have yes. yard waste dumpsters? Yes. I would probably put it in a yard waste dumpster. Okay. Unless okay, you want think... to have it, you know, just kind of sitting around for, uh, you know, probably a full another full year, if not even a little bit more. Mm, yeah. Well, I did put it around some geraniums last year, and they didn't do so well. They right. think a lot of them, one of them or two died. So, okay. 
Thank you very much. Sure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the stump grinding and stuff like that, or, it's, you know, if you get a tree service to come out and they do a lot of branching, you know, or to remove a tree and the chips and stuff like that is not what you want to use in your own landscape. Just have them haul it off. It's just not good. Now let's go over to Linda's yard in Oakville. Hi, Linda. Good morning. Hi. Uh, we have we have a uh, hibiscus tree that probably is about 15 years old, and we put it down in our basement. This is the first year. I always take the the you drapes or little curtains out of the basement windows to give it some more light, but right. we have a grow light this year because we had some other tropicals. But it gets looking pretty bad. But I followed your advice to take it out in the spring when it's real, probably May or whatever, and pull it out of the pot, get some of the old soil out, put new soil around it and feed it, and it just goes to town. So that's maybe, you know, it's probably about 65 degrees downstairs, but it does great. That's perfect. Anyway, I was calling. I have a clematis that was given to me by a very special person in the spring for Mother's Day, and I've never grown them, so I mulched it. I did not cut it back. I wanted to know, and I mulched it really well with leaves. So I wanted to know, like, what do I do this spring with it? Do I cut it back, feed it? I have not a clue. <laughs> so you have it in a sunny location, though, right? I mean, they don't uh, – there's yes. a few varieties. Okay, well, that's good. Now, do you know which variety? Is it one with the bigger flowers? Yes, it had, it had pretty good – Flowers. I even had a bloom like later on, you know, I don't, it didn't, con- well, I guess it did continue to bloom because I had a bloom later on, like toward fall even, right. a big one. So uh, probably I would in the, you know, for the next two years or so, even if you see the flower buds coming, I'd go ahead and pinch those off. And just what that does is sometimes flowering can stress a plant and cause more problems than the aesthetic value you're going to get from it. Also realize that clematis like an alkaline soil, so don't use a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. And fertilizing it is going to be you know helpful for it just overall. So start as soon as the leaves start coming out in the springtime, start fertilizing it. Fertilize about every three to four weeks. And again, a fertilizer for you know. Al, you know, alkalinity. So in other words, it needs the same type of soil that lilacs do. And there's a few other plant materials that like the alkalinity rather than neutral or acidic. But beyond that, that okay. you know, you're, sounds like everything's fine. You got a trellis for it to climb? Yeah, it came with a little trellis and I kind of put, you know, some string going up to, it's by the mailbox. I put some up, but I am going to get like a larger trellis for okay. it this year. Yeah, and so... so Will it just come out from the bottom or, and then I cut up, I kind of did it with my hydrangeas, just, you know, see where the growth is coming out and then cut back what doesn't come out. Is that kind of what you do with the clematis too? Right. So, I mean, the stems that are on it, you know, they should have viable buds, but if, depending upon the weather, which we don't know, a plant that's only a year old, it may not be acclimated enough. This cold weather may do some damage to some of the above ground stems and so the buds may not be as functional as what you hope. But, yeah, the best thing to do is let the you know, new growth begin, and anything that uh, doesn't have any kind of new, let's say, new leaves coming on it, go ahead and just cut those back. Okay. 
Do you think it would be a problem that I put oak leaves around it? I uh, hope not. Well. <laughs> That's what I mulched it with. <laughs> It should, you know, it shouldn't be, but I mean, there is some acidic quality to the, you know, to their, uh, you know, their, mm-hmm. let's say, organic material. So I think okay, uh, well, maybe just, get, right. yeah, just maybe if you have, you know, I'm not saying go out and get it, but if you have like a some lime or you know somebody you know that has some lime, just get a handful of it and just sprinkle it around and water it in so it can, you know, get down into the soil. Okay. Thank you for the advice. Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to George's yard, and he lives in O'Fallon. Hi, George. Morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, um, I'm looking for a shrub that will produce berries that's going to stay on the fairly small side that's going to be able to handle wet feet. Ooh. Any suggestions? No, oh, that's a tough one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, berries, do they have to be multiple, uh, like bright color or anything? No, I mean, just for the birds to eat, like in the wintertime. I've got some hollies in the area now, and they're just not doing good because of the wet feet. Well, uh, you know, in wet soil, you might just try the uh, type of holly called inkberry. Okay, do they stay on the fairly small side, or do they get real big? Well, I mean, there are Nordic varieties, one that's going to stay fairly small. So it's still going to get you know three you know three plus feet or three to four feet, but uh, they're native, they're tough, they're durable, and they can grow in wet soils. Okay. Do you need a male and a female? No. For the Bruce berries? Okay. No. Not like you do with the the red berry. Now their berries are you know dark colored, but yeah. uh, you know the berry the birds will you know seek them out and they will eat them. Well, cool. I think that's what we're going for then. All right. All right. Thanks. Yep, good luck with that. And 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Got some phone lines open back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, do remember if you're going to go out and do some pruning, maybe not today probably, but uh, don't leave any stubs. Make a cut so you, you know, basically whatever branch, whatever trunk or anything that the branch that you're taking off is connected to. And this is not only applies to trees, any woody that you don't leave a stub, that stub becomes problematic from several different factors. So, and the healing factor is going to be much faster if you cut and just leave a tiny bit of, let's say, stub. I'm saying don't leave a stub, and then I say leave a stub. But don't leave one beyond, let's say, you know, a quarter inch to a half inch at the most. Also, just, you know, keep that in mind if you're going to do any pruning. And it's a little bit early to think about it, but just in case you have some spring flowering shrubs, the best time to fertilize them is not before they flower, but after they flower. So that's a good time to get your favorite, head to your favorite garden center and get the right, right, right type of fertilizer depending upon what kind of flowering shrubs that you do have. Let's head over to Lynn's yard. Hi, Lynn. Hi, Mike. Hi. Listen, I have, um, is this a good week next week to have your big trees trimmed? Uh, anytime right now is fine. Before the new growth begins is perfect. Oh, okay. I was just worried with the severe cold. That, that's my question. Thank you. Sure. Yeah, it doesn't, uh-huh, the, cold, the cold doesn't matter, you know, as far as the services coming out, that's going to make a, diff, you know, a difference. I always like to, you know, do birch, beech, and maple trees in the summertime, 
but uh, tree services will say that's not necessary. But uh, during the wintertime, before the new growth begins, is an ideal time to have them come out and take a look and dead wood and shape the trees up or remove some of the branches, whatever it happens to be. Now let's go over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Um, so I've got a bunch of roses. Um, I think they're multi-floral. I don't know. Anyway, um, how, uh, when should I cut them back and how far should I cut them back? Uh, are they shrub type or are they just regular roses? Yeah, they're how many? Uh, I, how they're many? Probably shrub. So, in other words, they got multiple stems coming up out of the ground. And there's uh, maybe two or three coming up out of the ground, so, and the rest are just you know hanging. Right. So, in other words, if there's two or three, then that's a classic type rose. So, uh, basically, you could have already cut them back. You want to? I'm assuming they're hybrid teas, Grandiflora, Floribunda, or something along that line. Floribunda will usually have more stems, but have smaller flowers. But consequently, you want to cut those. You could have cut them back going into winter time, but you can cut them back just during the winter. You know, basically any time before the new growth begins, any kind of leaves start coming out. So within, yeah. So so how how far should I cut them back? Probably <laughs> if if it's a type of roses that I mentioned, cut them back to about eight to you know six to eight to ten inches. Okay, thank you. Yep, and then as soon as uh, you start to see some growth emerging, then get some rose food and start fertilizing them. Thank you. Okay. okay. Uh huh. Bye. Yep. And now let's head over to Joan's yard. Hi, Joan. Hey, Mike. Uh, I just caught the tail end of your conversation with the gentleman and his Christmas cactus. Did I understand you to say he can fertilize now? Uh, basically, as soon as he said they were actively growing, I think, so mm-hmm. soon, there was some new leaves were emerging. So, yes, and that's with any kind of house plant. As soon as you start to see some active growth, it's a good time to fertilize. If they're not actively growing, that's obvious to you, then fertilizing is not to their advantage. Okay, but any any house plant, if it looks like it's growing new leaves, it's okay to fertilize Absolutely, them. right. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Sure. And, again, I'm going to keep mentioning this, which I've done a couple times. It's, since it's, the days are still fairly short, just do one-half the label rate. And then as the days get longer, you're probably going to fertilize them three or four you know times, and each time as the days get longer, you can go beyond the, let's say, half label rate. And uh, guess what? Feeding the birds, like Brian Kelly does, also helps his plant material. His wife and him have a nice garden just in general. But having the birds, inviting the ver- birds into your yard by feeding them also will help with some of the insect control. So that's really important to do. If you have, let's say, you're growing perennials, and you want to have them, let's say, a little bit thicker and bushier. Not, you know, not all of them, but like flowering type, like mums. As soon as you get out there and you start fooling around, you start seeing some growth on your mums. Get about two to three to four inches. Pinch that back about halfway, and then let them double that size again, and then pinch them back. And you're going to do three or four pinchings on that. Mums really need a lot of food, a lot of fertilizer to have really successful. Um, flowering with them. Uh, we had a, we've, we had a daisy mum, and we still have it in a pot. I'm going to try it 
We've had it inside all winter long. It still looks pretty darn good, but I'm going to stick it outside in um, in the ground just to see what's going to happen. And I'm going to do the same thing. I don't know if you were listening in the first hour, but we've had a couple hyacinth bulbs. And the hyacinth bulbs, you know, the foliage has come out. One has already finished flowering, so it's just doing the foliage. The other one is just, you know, setting the flower, you know, flower set now or, you know, starting to emerge and the foliage will start coming out. I'm going to plant those and just kind of see if it's going to be worth the while because people do call in and say, well, I have these that have done this and I've done this and this and this. And so is it worth planting them in the ground? And I've not really taken bulbs that I've forced inside and especially in water and taken them outside and planted them. So we're just going to, I'm going to give that a try just so I can get some more information. Uh, summer bulbs. I mean, if you want to try, you know, and get some, some daffodils, some caladiums, you know, those kind of, not daffodils, caladiums, elephant ears and things like that a little bit early and get them potted up so they will sort of come out of their dormancy, this is a fine time to go ahead and do it. As long as you're going to put them in a location where they're going to get some light and there's going to be warmth so the potting mix that they're growing in can get enough warmth, which will trigger the growth. Because basically all plant growth is a result of soil temperatures. And if you don't have the soil temperatures good, then it's not going to be that great. I see a lot of different uh, types of herbs this for sale this time of year. And just, again, if you don't have bright light or grow lights or something, getting growing plants like, you know, herbs or any other type and just to try to see, you know, if you can keep them alive and doing well before you can put them in the ground is probably not worth the while because they're going to start elongating. So, Grow lights, I do have some grow lights in the basement, so I do grow certain things under grow lights. And, I mean, that's just, you know, kind of what I do myself. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to do that. But don't waste your time or energy with that type of thing. And uh, start watching out for just insects in general, because especially if you have any kind of pines, like mugo pines or something like that, because a pine saw flies, as soon as the weather starts warming up, that's when they really start doing their major kind of damage. So thanks to everybody for calling. I greatly appreciate it. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.